listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We've been working through this summer, through the Beatitudes, and this, this um, Sunday we come to the eighth and the final Beatitude that Jesus gave. Now Matthew 5, just a little context, just to understand, remind you of what's going on. Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and he's gathered them around him on the Mount, uh, which is now called the Mount of Beatitude, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and with his disciples present, as well as probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of onlookers, Jesus gave what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, and he started out by making eight statements, eight very profound, very deep, very soul-searching, heart-penetrating statements. And he, he, he makes the, these statements be, as he is painting a picture, a comprehensive portrait of what a Christian, what a disciple looks like, the heart characteristics, the qualities of a genuine follower of Christ, of someone who is truly in the kingdom of God. And these are people that that Jesus even says, these are the ones that are blessed. These are the ones that are ultimately happy, that have joy in their lives because of this and not because of all of what the earth and what the world can throw at us and what we think will make us happy. Yet Jesus is talking about true happiness. He's talking about a blessed life. And we see that name, that word over and over and over and over again here in, in this passage as he talks about this blessedness. And And yet, the way that he speaks of blessedness, the path to blessing, the path to eternal life, the path to Christ, the path of being a a Christian, a follower of Christ, is very opposite than what, is an opposite path than what we oftentimes would naturally think of. As Jesus would have been giving this sermon, there would have been a restlessness in the crowd. Just as sometimes when I'm preaching and, and we're touching on a very tough subject, that there sometimes can be a restlessness, and, and, and no doubt this would have been happening, that there would have been a restlessness, because Jesus was no longer perhaps just preaching. Now he's getting to meddling. He's meddling with, with people, and, and, and some people probably were shaking their heads in disbelief. There would have probably even been, as he's given this message, and finally, even when he comes to number eight, perhaps even some gasps in the crowd. Some people may have even gotten up and walked out. And said, I'm not listening to this. This is just a bunch of garbage. You see, Jesus, what he was saying in this message, the the introduction, the start of his message, is not what most of them sitting there, even for the disciples, this is not what they were hoping and were wanting to hear. This was not the kind of kingdom that they were longing for. They had been hoping and longing and, and praying and, and waiting and, 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 and prayerfully just seeking and, and looking for that Messiah that would come and meet their immediate needs, take care of their problems in the here and the now, give them right now their best life now, overthrow the Messiah would, and this was their hope and their plan, Messiah would overthrow those evil Romans and allow God's people to reign and rule. He would bring ultimately peace to Israel. And this is what they were hoping for, and this is what they were longing for. But what Jesus says in this sermon is so counterintuitive, it's so upside down, it's not what they were expecting, what they were hoping, what they were wanting to hear. And you know, folks, I think that just as this message that Jesus gave was no doubt rubbing some of the folks the wrong way in the crowd. 
this message today too and the Beatitudes can rub us the wrong way as well. You see, we can so easily have the mindset that the people did in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. We strive and we hope and we plan and we sacrifice so much and want so much for life here and now. We just want everything to go right. We want to be happy. We want people to love us. We want to have resources. We want to have health. We want to have experiences. We want to have all of these different things. We want life and God is going to give it to us. And we kind of think that God is perhaps our golden ticket for us to get what we're wanting so badly here on this earth. In some ways, we're very much like the audience there. We plan and we stress and we dream and we run ourselves into the ground in living for this moment, in living for this time here on earth, squeezing as much joy and excitement and thrills and, and opportunities as we can here on this earth. But God's word shouts to us and reminds us over and over and over again that this life is just but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And what do you folks have? What do we have here on this earth for our 70 or 80 or 90 years if you're so fortunate, perhaps if we want to say fortunate to live that long? I know that, that that'll probably take care of most of you here, but not for me. Like it, it, the Lutzer genes um, go into the hundreds. So not the multiple hundreds, but my grandmother died at 104 and my grandfather 106. So, so I've got some good traction still ahead of me, but not necessarily so much for the rest of you. I don't really know this for sure. Um, the Lord may just wipe me out even today. He may very well do that. But we live so much for, for what is going on here. But what about 200 years from now? What about 2,000 years from now? Where will you be? Where will your loved ones be? Where will our neighbors, our coworkers, these people who we love, who we care about, where will they be? Where will we be? We need to examine the word of God. We put so much in that little grain of sand that could be right now in my fingers and, and, and eternity is, contains the granulars of sands of all the oceans and all the beaches and all the side roads in Saskatchewan that you could ever find. That's eternity. And we put so much into this world. And to us, it's so important that we have the approval of people, that we have success, that we have the comfort of riches, we have the pleasures of the moment, we have that person by our side. And so oftentimes we think very little and plan very little towards eternity in the souls of those around us. And folks, you just have to understand, even being away over these number of weeks and just thinking and praying and just kind of saying, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What, where's it at? Uh, you need to know within my heart, there's a deepening and growing concern for the church in Canada. That's why we started this church in the first place. And you'll hear that in Discover Harvest. Again, if you've never been to Discover Harvest, come to that. You'll hear about it. This deepening burden within my heart and the heart of others to see a church that is going to proclaim the truth of God's word no matter the cost. And yet, such a concern for the church of Canada, such a concern for my own heart because prone to wander, prone to wander, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love and run and chase after other things. And how easily we are satisfied with lesser things, with temporary things. 
how God's worth and, and, and God's truth can easily and so easily, and we love it, to bend it in, in, in our favor, to, to justify our pursuits and our selfish ambition. We want the easy road, a Christianity without much of a cost, a Christianity that will allow me to just sit by and just take it all in and consume, or a Christianity that will, will allow me and allow me to even justify what I do with whom I do it with and whatever I want to do. And you say, Melvin, you're getting a little extreme here. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And you're going to hear this in a few moments. We want somehow to think that God's job then is to take care of me, to glorify me, to give me the desires of my heart. And when we, when he's doing that, he and I are going to get along just splendidly. On September 23rd, coming up here in a number of weeks, we're blessed, and you have to know, I am so pumped and excited to have my uncle come from Chicago to preach. We have hounded him for years to be able to come to a church where I'd be pastoring and for him to come and preach. He's been a faithful husband and a father and a pastor and an author for many years. And, and it's going to be a fantastic Sunday. Uh, you'll get more details. There'll be more details coming. And just excited that it's happening. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to him, and I was talking to him about this upcoming Sunday and what he maybe would talk about. And I just kind of just started just spewing my heart to him about some of the things I've just shared with you here today about my own heart and about the heart of, of so many of God's people and, and the church here in, in Western Canada. And, and he said, Melden, he says, you just wouldn't believe this. But he says, the book that I just have written and hasn't even been released yet, and yet I got a copy of it, uh, The Church in Babylon, Heeding the Call to Be Light in the Darkness, uh, We'll have, we'll have a few hundred of these copies available for you to purchase for yourself, but also to give away to others. Um, he, he said, this just speaks so much to it. Here's a quote from this book, and, and uh, just love what he had to say. It just goes along with this. It says, the church has always been tempted to dull the sharp edges of the Christian faith, to abandon hard truths in the face of cultural and religious pressure. He goes on to say, and, and the quote continues, the empty churches in Europe testify to what happens when clear gospel witness becomes beholden to political correctness, submission to culture, and willingness to unite with other religions under the banner of tolerance and love. One of the chapters he goes in, and it's a fascinating and, and a very eye-opening chapter, dealing with the five false gospels of the evangelical church today that is taking place here, especially in North America, and how we can easily so, be so deceived into thinking that the broad road is the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Another chapter, he writes about transgenderism and sexuality and the response of the church. Is that not a huge deal in our, in our world today? It's going to be a timely Sunday in the life of our church. Invite and pray and ask God to work as we meet here. And then Sunday night, there'll also be another opportunity to have him speak and to ask him questions. Folks, I'm pleading with you, though. I'm pleading with you not about that Sunday in particularly. I'm pleading with you, folks, how important it is that we are people who are standing on the word of God. Not just having some knowledge, but we have this knowledge, but we're also putting it into practice that we're living it, that we're examining our own lives. And allow God to have complete control of every part of us. Every part of our life. From our finances, to our time, to our family, to our future. Even in areas of our past. And say, God, it's all surrendered to you. I give it to you. 
And today there is so much that is facing the church of Jesus Christ. We, we are hearing things, and, and you don't have to dig very hard to find these kind of things. We're, we're hearing things like, we can, it's okay, go ahead and unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. The God that was portrayed in the Old Testament was mean and nasty and judgmental and wrathful, but God's not like that, and so let's just unhitch ourselves from that. Or whether it's a mixture of New Age teaching and practices that is, is seeping into the churches in some very alarming ways, in some ways that you may not even be aware, be aware of. Or easy believism. Just pray this prayer. Just pray the sinner's prayer and Jesus is your forever friend. And, 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 and you're in and you can go out and, and live the life that you just so want to live. Because after all, then there's the gospel of permissive grace or, or hyper grace. Which says, God loves you just so much that you can continue to live in the areas of your sin. Sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Live in sexual sin. Be in love with your addictions. Think that it's okay. Cheat in areas of business. Because after all, God is a God of love. He understands and he forgives. In other words, people are taking God's unconditional love and they're interpreting it as unconditional acceptance of one's lifestyle. Yes, God is a God of unconditional love, but he doesn't accept the sinful lifestyle. And we, as we come to him, we deal with it. We deal with our sin. We repent. We turn. We turn away from it. We pursue him in holiness. In Christ-likeness, we desire to live out his words. And so many of our evangelical churches are teaching a reduced or distorted gospel. And their congregations are oftentimes not even aware of it. Because after all, the Bible is being read, it's being referred to at least once or twice in the message. That's good enough, it must be biblical, though they may be taking it out of context. There's a church in Calgary as we spent some time there uh, a few weeks ago and, and talking to one of Charlotte's relatives who also shares this deep concern for the church in, in Canada and, 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 and as well as even in the church in, um, in Western Canada in particular. And, and there's a certain church that I'm going to read from you their doctrinal statement. And, and, and their church, kind of their headline is, it's a place for the under church, the over church, and the done with church. So if you're over-churched, under-churched, or done-with-church kind of person, we're a place for you. And you read their doctrinal statements, and it talks very much, and it sounds really good about God being a God of love, and Jesus coming to save the world, and, and a lot of things that are accurate in, in one degree or another. Some are a little distortion. But listen to this. It says, one of their statements, we do not believe in hell. We do not believe our loving God would torment anyone for eternity. The gospel of Jesus has been misinterpreted through the eyes of fear, hate, anger, and mankind's desire for vengeance. We believe that according to scripture, such teaching of hell is, is outside the context of the historical teaching of the early church in Easter Orthodox tradition of Polycarp, and it goes on. It goes on to end up even saying, this is really quite interesting, that the teaching of infernalism, I guess that's what we would believe in or something like that or eternal conscience torment has its root in paganism and it's just done a whole reversal of what is going on here and and I texted this I, I sent this to my uncle and to to just get, give him a little picture of what's going on here in western Canada and what's going on in the life of the church and and I was sobered and 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 actually just kind of also amazed at, at his wise response and he says this doctrinal statement is unbelievable the church, this church is leading people to the hell it does not believe in. Or here's a prayer that was prayed recently in a church here in Western Canada. 
And churches are, are praying these kind of prayers because it's getting results. It's getting, it's getting people in the seats. It's, it's, it, it, it's growing their churches. It's growing their finances. But this is a prayer prayed by a guy that I went to college with a number of years, well, quite a few years ago. Here's an offering prayer. We receive today's offering. We believe the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances. Someone had to die in order for this to happen. So I don't know, the little cynicalness that my wife pointed out. And that interest and income, rebates and returns, checks, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing Blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs. And I have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Of course anyone wants that. The only problem with a prayer like this is, is the word of God. This just does not go along with, with biblical teaching. And, and, and this goes on that, that everything in life should just smooth just go, uh, should be very smooth sailing in your life. The Beatitudes, however, this is the beauty of God's word and where we're going this morning. It brings us back to the purity of the gospel, the purity of a heart of faith, the authentic words of Jesus. But they will make us uncomfortable. And so I'm going to read these statements that Jesus made once again and for the last time in this message series, and we're going to cover the new one, number eight today. And so you can follow along in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught, taught them, saying, Blessed are the pure, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they, those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And here's the new one for today. It's going to cover three verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, each beatitude is, is soul-searching. It is deep. It is heart-examinating. Uh, ex causes us to examine our hearts. And that's why we've dealt with each one individually. And, and this last one is probably one of the tougher ones. This one would have probably ha have received a bit of a gasp from the people as Jesus spoke this. You see, this is the blessing that nobody wants, but we so desperately need. This is the blessing that God promises to his children, to his true followers. Yet we don't want it, but we need it so badly. And it is something that all true followers of Christ will experience. You will experience this as a true follower of Christ. It's a guarantee. And notice that, that Jesus, he states all the other Beatitudes. They're all in one nice little statement, one verse uh, that they cover off. But this one, Jesus, he, he, he comes at it from two different angles. He repeats it twice, basically. And notice even the second time is different than the first time that he gives it. He switches from the third person in verse 10 when he said, Blessed are those just like all the other Beatitudes, but now it gets more personal, gets more real. As in verse 11, he says, he changes it and says, to make it more direct. And he says, blessed are you. So in reality, what Jesus is saying 
is, and encourage you to write this down, persecution is inevitable. Persecution is, is inevitable for the child of God. Now, this statement isn't just a one-off for Jesus. This isn't just something that, you know, this was a new concept in the word of God and only said this once. It, hap- it has been repeated and it has happened over and over and over again. You see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in church history and we're seeing it today that God's people are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus is saying, here's what is going to happen when you are a Christian, when you are a true disciple, when you are a follower of mine. And Jesus is not saying if it happens, he's saying when this happens, it's a guarantee. Look at Philippians 1.29, some verses, encourage you to write down these references, we'll be referring to them briefly, encourage you to go home and look it up and look it in context and you'll see that this, this is consistent throughout the word of God. Philippians 1.29, It says, this is the Apostle Paul talking, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Where's Paul at the time? He's in prison. He's been beaten, he's, he's been accused, he's been persecuted in so many different ways, and he's saying, this for the follower of Christ, the same things I've endured, you better be ready to endure it as well. It's gonna happen. We must understand that there is a measure of suffering if you are going to be faithful to Christ. It will cost one way or another. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul talking to young Timothy, getting him ready for the ministry, and he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice, underline in your Bibles, encourage you to do it, the word all. It's gonna happen, it will happen to all true followers of Christ. Also, write down, you may want to look up a little later, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. If you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, there will be, along, along the way, there will be a degree of suffering and persecution, perhaps not ongoing, consistently all throughout your life, but there will be periods, there will be seasons. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, write down this reference as well. Matthew 10, 34 and 39. This is Jesus speaking a little later on. He says, do do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are tough words from Jesus. Tough words that oftentimes will not. And we breeze over when we look at it. We don't preach about these kind of things very much because it's uncomfortable and and, and it doesn't tickle. And oh, that made me feel good today. No, this is to, to point to us the truth of God's word so that it will end result in incredible joy for you even today. You say, how is that possible? Well, we'll get there. Jesus was saying that the effect of his ministry is going to bring division. And the effect of our faith in Christ will result in the same. And as we live with our families, in our work, as we do business, as we go to school, as you hang out with your friends, there will be testings and conflict. 
young people as you get ready for college. Sending my daughter off this week. There's going to be testings and conflicts that will test your loyalty to Jesus. Don't fail the test. Years ago, a man approached Tertullian. He was an early church father and told him how his business, his business interests and, and his Christianity kind of conflicted or majorly conflicted in some areas. And the man said, what can I do? I must live. Therefore, I must allow for this conflict. And Tertullian's response to him was two words. Must you? Must you live? You see, for Tertullian, he believed that when it came to a choice between loyalty to Christ and living, the real Christian chooses Christ. We choose it over our friends. We may even have to choose it over family relationships. We may choose it over a job, a workplace. All through history, there's been a great cost that has been paid to follow Christ, to be loyal to him. Loss of business, material goods, rejection of friends, excommunication from a family. And there have been many, countless, hundreds and thousands and millions of people who have given their lives to be loyal to Christ. Now this morning, it might be a little odd, but I want to give you some ways that you can avoid and escape some persecution. Maybe don't write these down, but just have a listen to them because I really don't want you to go out and do this. But here's a way to remove any sort of persecution from your life and be virtually loved by everyone around you. Here's some ways. Simply remove the offensiveness of the gospel. Don't tell people that Jesus is the only way to God. Don't talk about sin or repentance and, and don't preach about hell. Don't judge what others do. After all, Jesus said, judge not. Just approve of what the world does. Laugh and smirk. Even repeat the jokes that the world tells. Stay silent when there's gospel and slander that are polluting the air. Immerse yourself in the same entertainment and, and, and lifestyle of worldly pursuits. Promote that on your social media pages. That you're just like everyone in the world. When God is mocked or cursed, say nothing. Say nothing or even better yet participate in unethical, underhanded or even under the table business and financial practice and dealings because everyone else is doing it. After all, other Christians are doing it that you know and look how God has richly blessed them. So it must be okay. Justify that sort of thing. Don't take a stand for God's word and attend a wedding or, or celebration or parties that biblically can't be supported in the word of God. Keep the family peace at all costs. Don't speak up or say anything to people who are reading books, attending meetings, going to movies, attending another church that is preaching or promoting another gospel. And today our world is filled. The movies, the authors, the, the churches are filled with people who are promoting and teaching another gospel. Just be happy that they're going to church. Accept and even indulge in the world's morals and ethics and practices. Live like this and you will be loved. No one will have anything bad to say about you except how wonderful of a person you are. But I must wa warn you that this is a very dangerous perspective and lifestyle to live. Because Jesus in Luke chapter 6 
26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. He says, if everyone's speaking well of you, they're, they're, there's a problem with your faith. You see, if we are afraid to stand for Christ, for the truth of his word, if we are afraid and ashamed, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says that God will be ashamed of you. If you're not willing to take a stand for him today, he won't take a stand for you on that day. Maybe very well end up being revealed that a person is not a believer at all if there's no persecution in their life or is living such a distant and distorted and disobedient life from what the word of God calls and it calls for some serious self-examination. Yet, speaking up, taking a stand means there will be a cost. There will be. And here's some forms, you may want to write this down, some forms of persecution that you will face when you stand for Christ, when you stand for the truth of God's word. There will be spiritual opposition. Matthew, in, in, in Matthew 5, verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. That means to harass, that means to pursue, that means to chase. Remember, though, folks, we're living in a spiritual battle. This is good versus evil. We're not fighting, as, as, as Ephesians reminds us, as Paul reminds us there, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is a, a spiritual battle that we are, we're in. Good versus evil. Light ver, versus darkness. And light exposes the darkness, and so darkness hates the light. Verse 11, it goes on to say, Blessed are you when they revile you, when they despise you and reject you because of Christ. Again, remember, this is not because a person has simply lived in a... An exemplary life. Persecution, the spiritual opposition comes because you represent Christ, because he indwells in you, and that automatically will bring some opposition. The second form of persecution, personal accusation. Verse 11, it says, when people say all kinds of, um, say all kinds of evil against you falsely, the, there will be all kinds of slander and being falsely accused. There will be resentment and hatred casting insults and guilt-tripping you. Be ready for that. There will also be physical persecution that you may face. This carries the idea, and Jesus warned of it, of a bodily injury could easily come. This is what's happening in other parts of this world. According to recent statistics, 250 million people today, Christians, are living under the threat of physical persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. 250 million people today are facing this kind of persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because Christ means more to them than the persecution that they could suffer. 322 people die every month for their faith in Jesus Christ. 214 churches and properties are destroyed every week because of Christ. Now, for the most part, this isn't happening in Canada, but there are many indications that the church in North America and here in Canada may one day be facing some of these same kind of trials and suffering and persecution. But physical persecution may take some other ways as well for us. Suffering in business you may not make the money that you had hoped and planned and dreamed because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ and to the truth of his word. You may lose a promotion, you'll get overlooked because you're not willing to do what the boss is asking you to do. Because you're not a team guy in that you're not willing to go and party and to carry on in the same way that the world does, and so you don't quite fit in, and so you may lose out on promotions or certain opportunities. Or because you won't deal in underhanded ways, you may get sidetracked or, or, or sidelined in different areas. You may lose a boyfriend or girlfriend 
because you are not willing to do what they are wanting you to do. And if they are wanting to do what you think I know that I'm talking about, you're thinking about doing, they don't really love you if they're not willing to honor God and to honor you and wait for marriage. It's not getting, it may mean not getting invited to certain gatherings or parties or social events because after all, you're just a goody-two-shoe. You're, you're a religious person. You may have friends turn your back on you. Family members say hurtful things, maybe even disown you. It's happening around the world. It can happen to us here. And this will happen in increasing ways as we take a stand for Christ. It will take place at school. It will take place at work. It will take place in society, in our families, and sadly, even within the church. This can easily happen within the church of Jesus Christ. You must realize that if we are to follow Christ, there will be a cost. To follow Christ, it will affect how we live, how we spend our money, how we make our money, how we spend our time, how we give of our time, how we give of our, of our talents and our treasures. It means our motivations and our passions and our difference are different, they're changing, they're becoming, they're focusing on eternity and what Christ has for us. And the world will always be wanting more, but as we're continuing to grow in our walk with Christ, we will want to give him more and more to build his kingdom. However, when you get ready to stand for Christ, or when you stand for Christ, get ready for, as I've mentioned, some persecution, ridicule, opposition, the guilt that will come, but remember, you don't stand alone. You stand with Christ. When you take a stand for Christ, he stands with you. You are not alone. He also gives us his body. He gives us the church. He gives us one another. Over the years, Charlotte and I in ministry have faced some very deep and difficult trials. And in those trials and through those trials, we've been humbled by God's grace and his strength to be able to, be able to press on through that, the strength that he gives by his Holy Spirit, that he, the reminders of the truth and the promises of his word, but we're also so grateful for the way he has placed his body and he has placed people around us, timely people who've walked with us, who've spoken for us, who have spoken the truth and love to us, sometimes saying things we don't want to hear. People who have been there to walk with us in that. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. The beauty of what happens when we face persecution and opposition, that is surely to come. And here, folks, is an important thing. Here's something very important. I believe we all have to examine ourselves. If a person claims to follow Christ but never experiences any sort of persecution or ostracism or rejection or ridicule or is insulted, it's either a sign that we're not doing a very good job of living our life, we're hiding our faith very well, or it may reveal that we're actually truly not saved because our passions are not of the passions for the things of the Lord. Because sooner or later, in a, someone who is truly saved, those convictions of the word of God need to be stood upon. One of those initial ones is baptism. Have you, have you been baptized? One of the ways that we declare our faith in Jesus Christ. But it's a life lifetime of standing for Christ. Jesus tells us in this beatitude, it's bound to happen. It's a guarantee, and we see it throughout Scripture. All of God's people, you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. You will suffer. But second of all, I want you to write down, it may not be what you think. The other points are a little shorter than that first one, but it's so important to realize that. And we, and, and, but persecution may not be what, what we think. We must be careful to understand the kind of persecution that Jesus was talking about. 
Our, our family, um, because of Charlotte's and my roots, tend to like a certain football team. And, um, and, and just, yeah, it's just so beautiful. Some, some of you just please snap some pictures of that to see me up here in a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, you know, um, slide like this um, in, in, you know, and because of this, I will face some persecution. And, and, and because of that, our family um, have, have gone to, to games in Edmonton and, and the ones you see here, it was BC Place, and we get decked up and different things and go like that and, and, and have a great time. And, and we endure some persecution for that. We, we get some sneers and some jokes and, and people saying some kind of unkind things. There's sometimes when you get people amped up on a little bit of alcohol, they get a little crazy and, or very crazy. And, and there's been a few times where, yeah, I know when we were living in Edmonton, our kids, it was like, hey, get, let's get them out of here quickly because they don't need to hear that and, and we don't know what this might come to. And, and, you know, and then somebody even gave me this. I mean, this is a shirt. I, um, I am careful how I wear it now. But, but look at this. Jesus loves the Rough Riders. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, a staff member in Alberta gave this to me, and I would wear this publicly. And, and um, yeah, especially in Calgary, you know, when you'd go there and, 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 and just some of the comments. One time I was in a store in Edmonton wearing the shirt, not even thinking about it. I was with the kids. They were quite young at the time. And, and all of a sudden, this lady from a kind of, she was over in another, you know, about where the wall is. And, and all of a sudden, she yelled at me, he loves us too, you know? And I'm like, What? And, and I forgot that I had the, he loves us too. And, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, your shirt. And I said, oh, yeah. And I laughed and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, you just have to realize he loves some of us more than others. You know, and, and she's like, oh, you know, you're so frustrated. And so, you know, when you get persecuted because you wear a shirt, you know, or dress up like that, that's not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about. Or when you're driving to church and you're running late and all of a sudden you get pulled over and you get a ticket, oh, it's spiritual opposition. No, it means you need to get up earlier and get out the door faster and not speed. That's not persecution that we're talking about. So we got to talk about what is he talking about when he talks about persecution here. Notice Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, period. He doesn't say that. He says, it says for righteousness sake. And sadly, Christians and Christians have been rejected and persecuted and maligned, not for their Christianity, but actually because of uh, their lack of it. Because they are rude, insensitive, saying things that Jesus would not want you to say to other people holding up signs that you ought not to be holding up, obnoxious, insensitive, proud, judgmental, lazy, incompetent, and irresponsible. Yet say, oh, I'm being persecuted for Christ in my workplace. Yeah, because you're lazy. It's not because you're a Christian, you're lazy. Irresponsible. Or we protest or get into debates and arguments in person or even on social media that yeah, we may even be speaking the truth, but we're not doing it in a heart of love. See, Jesus is talking, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness, and the righteousness that he's talking about are contained in those verses above there. It's someone who has a poverty and a brokenness over sin, over their sin and also the sin of the world, and the sin in the lives of others, not in a hard-handed, judgmental kind of turn-or-burn kind of thing. A heart that is pursuing righteousness is one that has a repenting and a heart that is growing in meekness and humility and gentleness. It's a heart that is hungering and thirsting to be more like Christ rather than hungering and thirsting for the things of this world and has a forgiving and a peacemaking spirit rather than a grudge-bearing and a, you know, retaliating kind of a spirit. 
A life lived in these beatitudes will call for persecution and will bring it one way or another at one time or another. Look at Jesus. He lived life perfectly. He lived a perfectly righteous life. And what happened to him? He was persecuted in the most horrific way. And no one will ever have to face the persecution and the punishment that he faced. Everyone who desires to live a godly life, every follower of Christ, will suffer persecution at some time or another. What degree it will be for you will be different than what it will be for me. Now, some will see that the righteousness of Christ lived out in you and me. They will see it. They will see, man, there's something different about them and want it. And they'll say, what is it that makes you tick? What is it that you're, you're so different? And, and you've got a peace and you've got a joy. And, 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 and they will see that and they will acknowledge their own sin. They will repent and they will trust Christ. Amen. Sing glory to God. That's what we're going for, right? But there will also be those who will see it and they will hate it. And it will be a burr that's rubbing up against them. And it's going to make your life difficult. John 15, that's what happened to Jesus in John 15, verses 18 to 20. Uh, read that this week, but verse 20, it says, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so when we face persecution, we must remember we're in good company. It even says here, in the company of the prophets. Jesus reminds us that the prophets before us have been persecuted, so you will be persecuted. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Abel was, mur was murdered by his brother Cain. Moses was persecuted and suffered in various ways. David was hounded and hunted by Saul. Elijah and Jeremiah endured much. Stephen was stoned. The disciples, most of them, were all martyred. James was slain with the sword. Paul was persecuted over and over and over again. And they weren't just per persecuted because they were difficult and obnoxious or, or simply just trying to, to, to make their own way in the world. No, they were persecuted because of righteousness, because they were desiring to live a godly life. But folks, there's also some good news in this. Persecution, the blessing that none of us want, will lead to joy. In Luke's gospel, a shorter excerpt of the Beatitudes that you find in Luke chapter 6, he says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy and be glad, he says. You say, leap for joy when I'm being persecuted? And that doesn't make sense. I read this week about a Romanian pastor who was in prison and tortured and yet experienced such joy in his life. His beatings, I'm not going to go into detail here, they were brutal. And when he would be returned to his cell in solitary confinement, he was often starved, oftentimes for days at a time. Yet it was in that place he would pull himself up on a daily basis and shuffle about in his cell in a holy dance, filled with extreme joy. His joy in prison was so remarkable that on the day of his release, though incredibly malnourished and hungry, he chose to fast his first day as a memorial to the joy he had known in prison. When, in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were beaten in prison and shackled, what were they doing? They're worshiping, they're singing. What happens in Acts 5 when Peter and the apostles are flogged because they're preaching Christ? <laughs> they walk away from that beating and they're, they're rejoicing. They're filled with great joy. You see, there's not a joy because of the persecution, but there's a joy because you're a true kingdom citizen. There is a supernatural joy that the Holy Spirit infuses upon your life at that time that you will know no other way until you step up for Christ. When you step up for Christ, he steps up for you and he fills your heart with joy. 
doesn't make the circumstances necessarily easier around you. That guy remained in prison for some time, endured beatings, endured fasting, but he, as he did so, he did it with his eyes on Christ, and look at what happened. There will be a reward. The reward will be joy that he will give us, unspeakable joy, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. And then there's one last thing. There will also be one day a great reward. Look at the promise. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to people who are persecuted for righteousness because they're desiring to live a holy and a Christ-like life. And the more that you live for Christ, the more you're lovingly, you direct people and confront, in love, you confront people to the truth of the word of God, the more hostility you'll receive. But I believe greater, and God's word teaches us, greater your reward in heaven, where it will be joy upon joy forevermore. I love the way that one commentator summarizes. He says, I believe it's true if we are faithful to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving person or an unbelieving environment, family, classroom, group at work, or whatever it might be, if we are faithful to proclaim the gospel and speak straightforwardly the truth of Christ and the truth of the living God to those who love sin, who love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil, the response is to be inevitable hostility. So it's going to come. So we've been talking about but we have to keep this in mind. It is the path to blessing. I can ask you to bow your heads right now. As we just spend some time together in some time of examination and looking at our hearts. Last night as I was heading off to sleep and early this morning, I was thinking of some of the ways that Charlotte and I over the years have faced if you want to call it persecution and difficulties in ministry and standing for the Lord. I'm not telling you to brag about this at all, but I've been told off in letters and emails and to the face more times than I care to remember. We've been followed and stalked by people. I've been served with letters from lawyers. People who dearly loved us at one time led a revolt to oust us from a church that we are serving in. We've been lied about, gossiped about. And I, again, I don't tell you this to brag. I tell you this because there have been many times that I haven't taken the stand or I haven't spoken when I should have. And it would far outnumber the times that I did speak up. God has been faithful and has seen us through as a family, and I believe he will continue to do so. I also have to admit that oftentimes my responses and my motives are not always as pure and right as they could be or should be. I've got a long ways to go. But there is great joy when we do take a stand for Christ. There is a strength that comes that is not our own. And I would encourage you and I would challenge you, take a stand for Christ. In some ways, this week could get very difficult for some of you, and yet the joy factor will just go through the ceiling. Some questions for you to ponder here.
Is my Christianity evident? When people see me, do they see a righteous life that desires to honor God above all things? Am I willing to stand for Christ, even if it means ostracism, ridicule, losing a promotion, giving back large sums of money? Where are you putting your hope today? Let's stop living for the here and now and for the approval and the praise of people. Let's get living for the place where Jesus is in the process of making all things new. Quite possibly, as I said, life can and it will get tough for some in this room tonight who hear, or this morning who heed this message. But a stand needs to be taken. Is there something you're not saying or doing because of fear? Fear of being laughed at, harassed, or singled out? Remember, truth always needs to be spoken in love, in great humility, in dependency upon the Lord, knowing how prone to wander and prone to fail we are. But your joy will increase. The approval and the happiness in Jesus, it'll go through the roof. And greater, one day that reward and that blessing will be in heaven. And maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ or you're not even sure if you're a believer. You can receive him by faith today. <laughs> and I know exactly what you're thinking. It's like, why would I ever do that? Why would I sign up for a life of persecution and suffering? Who wants that? Can I remind us all here today, you have two options. Follow Jesus and receive the benefit and the blessing of his complete covering for you over your sin. Repent and turn from your agenda and turn from sin and pursue him in holiness and cry out to him. And when he does, when we do that, Jesus covers the penalty of our sin, his righteousness for your and my unrighteousness. Yeah, you'll face some rejection here on this earth, some ridicule, some persecution. But the second option, reject Jesus. Reject Jesus today. And yes, you may have, you will have an easier life than the one I described just now. But get ready, because one day you will face the wrath of God against your sin. Not just for years, not just for decades, but for eternity to come. The choice is yours. I'm going to close by reading this verse, these verses in Luke 9. And Jesus said to all, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Or can I even add, or his family. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. <laughs>